0: Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in, listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Welcome, all of you watching online, by the way. You stand up in your PJs and hold your Bible up. Say, this is my Bible, I am what it says I am, I have what it says I have, I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess, my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same again. Never, 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 in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, bring you up to speed. Last week we began the mini-series entitled Revolutionary Thinking, um, very important, not corporately, though corporate side of things will be affected and impacted by individual revolutionary thinking. Uh, Sometimes in a world that is so filled with so many uh, news networks, so many television stations, social media, we really don't have or possess or work to have our own thoughts. Uh, We have a tendency to Attach ourselves to a thought, a pattern, a movement that we like Without asking the question, how do I really feel about this? What do I really think about this? Uh, A revolution is a sudden, complete, or marked change in something or someone So if you're going to have a revolution in your life First off, it's not a one-time event, it's something we do every day I don't know how many of you sit down every day and just go I want to, I'm just going to think. I'm just going to have think time. And oftentimes, it it takes removing ourselves from all the distractions in the world and and sitting down and thinking. And it's very, very important that we realize that uh, the very first, and I talked about this last week, one of the things that happens is a lot of times a revolution is born out of a struggle, something that we're going through. And in our world, we've got medicine for everything, and I'm not, I'm not against it, <clears throat> but sometimes we medicate before we meditate. If you meditate, there's a really good chance God will reveal something to you. And, and instead of medicating or trying to reduce the struggle, we ask God to make us bigger than the struggle. God, what I'm going through right now, I'm not asking you to remove it, because sometimes that struggle is, is not a bad thing. Sometimes it, it does give birth to a new thought or something different. And so, uh, there also, the second thing was contrast. You you know, when we have a contrast in something, we see things differently. There was a couple that got married pre-automobile days, and and they had grown up together, got married young. And after they they were leaving the church, and they each had their horses, and they they got on their horses, and they're riding away from the church and and, uh, into a blissful future. Many years after that moment uh, in time, They've been married numerous years. And somebody finally asked the the older gentleman, how did you guys have such an awesome marriage? You never fought. You never argued. He said, well, let me take you back to when we were leaving the church on our horses. He said, uh, riding away, and my wife's horse got a little cranky, and she got off and looked it in the eyes and said, that's one. Got back on the horse. They rode a little further, and it acted up again. She got off, and she said, that's two got back on her horse, they rode a little further, acted up again. She got off and said, that's three, and she shot it in the head. (laughs) Well, how does that pertain to a great marriage? He said, well, we hadn't been married any time, and I acted up, and she looked at me and said, that's one. (laughs) He said, we got along great after that. (laughs) Sometimes we learn from the struggles we have, and Sometimes you're just dumb. But it's important to understand that in life, there are going to be tribulations, there are going to be struggles, there are going to be difficulties. And what we do with those is what makes us become who God wants us to become. I, if you'll turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, you may recall that Moses fled Egypt. He had grown up in Egypt But he was protecting the Israelites who were there in captivity. So he murders, long story short, an Egyptian. So he flees. He goes on the backside of nowhere, and he's out there by himself. And here's what happens. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to a far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw, saw that, though the bush was on fire... It did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, Here I am. Now we know the rest of the story, if you've been in church at all, that Moses goes into Egypt brings the people out, and yada, 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 and on and on and on. But here's what I want to say today. This was a moment for moses that was a defining moment that he was going to close the distance if you will between he and god and that i'm sure when moses is out by himself he's remembering what he did in egypt it's a thought that probably haunted him for numerous years prior to this encounter with god he probably wrestled with the thought of i took the life of an egyptian i took matters into my own hands It was a struggle that beat me. Now I'll struggle the rest of my life. You don't have to struggle the rest of your life. You don't have to give in the rest of your life. God will, if you allow Him, raise you above that struggle. It will be something that will compel you and propel you to your destiny. In a world that is filled with chaos, difficulty, division, and strife, and numerous other things, we find people that are struggling not just with their relationship with God and where is God, but struggling with each other concerning what we believe about certain things and what we don't believe and we disagree. And, and all of these things are struggles for us. And the reality is we have to come to a point in our lives where we don't take this wrong but begin to think for ourselves. Because this, this whole herd thing going on in our world today has people, you know, there are basically two camps that we see But there are hundreds of millions of camps we don't see. And those are people who have individual thoughts and opinions about what's going on in our world today. And so, very important that we realize that each and every individual is responsible for the outcome of their life. You're never going to be able to blame somebody else for where you end up. It's the choices that you make. It's the choices that I make. Now, I grew up in a very radical Pentecostal uh, movement, if you will. My mother was the only one in her family born again, and she fell in love with Jesus, and naturally she wanted her three sons to fall in love with Jesus. And yet, we went to a church that was probably about two snakes away from snake handling. (laughs) And I mean, it was just one of those churches. You didn't invite your friends to that church. You know what I'm saying? They already suspected, just keep them suspecting. And so it just kind of freaked me out. You know, every time I went, I thought, I am certainly going to hell if these people are right. And so as a result of that, I, I kept distancing myself from the church and, if you will, from God. And so when I got old enough to be on my own, which is unheard of nowadays, is was about 16 years old, uh... You know, this generation, they'll stay at home till they're 36. And, and so, you know, I, I didn't really, I, I, I was afraid of church for sure, which made me afraid of God. But I had gotten injured pretty badly playing football, and I just made do. I didn't tell my mother because I knew if I did, she would make me quit, but I played in pain uh, and, and I'd hurt my shoulder horribly bad. I'd gotten hit both sides at the same time. And I thought, well, it'll go away and everything will be fine. It's just a part of growing up. Well, when I turned 20, I was driving down the road and, and both hands and, and my arms went numb. Now, I don't know if that freaks any of you all out, but it kind of freaked me out. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I can't feel. And so I thought, well, it'll go away. And it kind of did, but then it kept coming back where I couldn't feel Now, you have to understand, I didn't really know much about the Bible, and I had seen a lot of emotion in the church I grew up in without a lot of understanding. And so, I decided to visit a doctor, uh, and I went, and they did this scan, and the doctor came back to me. and He says, well, he said, we figured out your problem. He said, you have calcium deposits growing on your spine from a An impact. Do you remember anything about an impact in your life that would have caused this? I knew immediately what it was. And I said, well, yeah, I do. And I explained to him that I'd gotten hit on both sides at the same time, and my neck was twisted around. It was just really a stupid injury. And he said, well, here's what we'll do to fix it. He said, we're going to cut you on your neck right here, and then we're going to go in and scrape your spine. (laughs) How many of you know, that's an awesome thing. And it kind of freaked me out because I wasn't living for Jesus. And I thought, man, I, I mean, it just really freaked me out. I thought I'm going to look like Frankenstein. And uh, so that was when I was 20. And then I got born again just before I turned 21. And uh, it was a whole new experience for me because, really, I got born again not because I loved Jesus. I just didn't want to go to hell. <laughs> i just be real honest with you. I mean, how many of you think that's, that's an okay reason, Right. Wow, I guess all the nine thirty people were going to hell like me. Anyway, so But I did grow close the distance between me and God. This is the point. And I I began to think I was so turned off by all the emotion and all the things I saw that I thought, you know, I'm just gonna be I'm gonna be a moderate Christian. You know, I mean I love Jesus now. I got in and, and so but my hands continued to go numb. So I was torn because there is still a world that doesn't believe that God is involved. You know what I'm saying? It's like, well, I just want to go to heaven, and, and that's my goal is to, to go to heaven. That's what I want to do. And so as a result of that, we leave so many things out that bring heaven to earth. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to this church, and it wasn't anything like the church I grew up in, but they, they, were, you know, they were what they call a full gospel church. That they believed the Bible to be true. And so I'm praying one day, and I'm thinking, God, I really don't want to have this surgery. C- could you help me? Any of you ever been there? It doesn't matter what denomination or abomination you are, eventually you're going to believe in miracles. And so on this particular day, I, th- I thought, well, I'm going I'm to ask God to help me out here, you know? And so I, I had this impression. It wasn't an audible voice, but it was like, if you will... Lift your hands to me in worship. I'll take care of the hands you're lifting, the ones that are going numb. I thought, I don't do hand raising. God didn't even talk back. You know, I wish he would have said something like, you're so dumb. Why don't you believe me? Why don't you trust me? And so I I, I did this number. I worship you. (laughs) Nothing happened. Hands still going up. I got to close the gap, man. Got to close the gap. So over time, I went here. It looked like I'm getting arrested. (laughs) Nothing happened. Finally, one day, I thought, man, I really, really don't want to have this surgery. How many of you have ever been to that place where you finally go, okay, God? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm a great negotiator. You know, I'm going to negotiate with God. Okay, what about one and then here? <laughs> so finally, one day, I thought, okay, because I was embarrassed. I, you know, I thought, I just thought it was weird. Which now, looking back, I'm going, if metabolism-challenged men can paint letters on their tummy in December at a football game. Okay, let's just use the word fat. I know it's a word we don't use much anymore, but it's still in the dictionary. Webster has not chunked it yet. If they can be that radical, that revolutionary, I can too about God. So I proceeded to lift my hands. Folks, I got to tell you if you didn't believe in miracles and you don't believe in miracles, wait till you do what God says and see what happens. I never had to have the surgery. I mean, it was gone. It was like miraculously gone. Now, every now and then, how many of you know when something miraculous happens, you will have the same symptoms to make you question whether or not God really did what he said he would do? Still have symptoms every now and then. And I just go, no, I'm not doing it. Not doing it. You see, I have to, revolutionary thinking is not a one-time event. It wasn't in that one moment that I lifted my hands. It was daily getting up and believing God that he would do what he said he would do. Now, I know that people oftentimes measure whether God does miracles or not by their own influence or their own persuasion. You know, if you prayed for somebody and they died, automatically God doesn't do miracles. Well, everybody's going to die at some point. That's not the question. The question is, do we trust God to do what God says he will do? It's revolutionary thinking in a day and time when a lot of church has become entertaining. And I'm not opposed. I mean, I've been there, done that. But what I'm saying is the word of God is what changes our lives. Not the lights, not the cameras, not the the smoke, but the word of God revolutionary thinking is most often contradictory to secular thinking and so you are just as smart as anybody else out there but you don't believe you're as smart if you come in out of the rain you are smart some of you all think knowing calculus and geometry is what makes no Coming in out of the rain is smart. Not standing near a pole during a lightning storm is smart. I'm talking about people all over the world that know what to do, but you're treated like you don't know what to do. There's a hidden meaning behind all this, and some of you are getting it. The reality is you will never live, truly live, until you are no longer afraid of dying. And we live in a world that makes us believe that this life is the only life we'll ever have when in reality this life cannot compare to the life to come. See, revolutionary thinking works against, if you will, thinking that works against God. I'm sure, absolutely sure, that if you would have lined nine doctors up and looked at my, my x-rays, my scans, they would have all said the same thing. And I'm not being critical of doctors. They're reading what they see. That's not, that's not my point. My point is I decided to go ahead and trust God. Now, I'm not saying you should, should. I wouldn't have been wrong to have the surgery. But how many of you know it doesn't get too exciting about having a knife scraping your spine? So maybe it was just an act of desperation or whatever. But the reality is, like Moses, we have to close the gap between where we're standing and where God is. And he approaches the burning bush. If he had not approached the place of God, there's a good chance he would not have heard the word of God. And God had a word for him, but he got his attention in a burning bush. What will it take for the world to get in a place where God will once again speak? Now listen, I'm probably going to get in trouble for all kinds of things because I've been known to do that. But a friend of mine posted this, and it it really, I debated whether or not I would even share it because it's it's probably fairly controversial. And you'll think after I read it, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But I'm constantly, as a pastor, trying to figure out what it will take to move people to a place of power, and that place of power is the place where God is. And you say, God is everywhere. I know God is everywhere, but the Bible says the footsteps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. And in a world that is gradually going from separation to isolation to destruction, you need to hear this. The reality is, if we can divide the church, if we can separate the church, we can isolate the church. If we can isolate the church, we can devastate the world. The institution of the local church is still the greatest institution on planet earth. And I don't say that because I'm a pastor. I say that because it's true. The Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together as you see the day drawing near. There was a reason God said, don't forsake getting together. A friend of mine wrote this. He said, online church is a great supplement, and it is. It's great for people who are shut-ins, vacation, you can't get out, something happens, you don't feel well. It's a great supplement, but should not become a substitute for flesh and bones, personal eye and heart connection. You didn't become a growing Christian on your own or through an online discipleship community. The church was there growing you week after week, building a safe community of faith and fellowship for you. You and I didn't get where we are today by ourselves. The shoulders you stood on needs us back in the pews again. Church, where you count and are counted on. Now, I realize we we have great debates today about this, but the reality, folks, is this. We have to continue to close the gap between us and God. There will always be a wedge trying to come between us and our place of power. Before there will ever be a revival in our land, there will have to be a revolution in our heart. Revolutionary thinking makes a way for the revival of God. Brother Osteen used to say this. He said, how big is your want to? How big is your want to? In other words, if it's something you really desire... You put effort into it. So a revolution begins with struggles. First off, you go, I, I don't like where I'm at. And some people, rather than saying, I don't like where I'm at and I'm going to change it, they just adjust to the struggle. My dad taught me to play golf when I was very young. And he was a, really, he was a par golfer, and, and he was developing me into a golfer. And I had this bad habit of slicing the ball. Now, any of you that golf know that, you know, there's a way to fix it. But what most people do is unless they're willing to change, what they do is they don't change their swing, they change their stance. So now, rather than lining up straight in the fairway, if you slice it, you turn left so that the ball goes way over this way and lands in the middle of the fairway, thus losing Many yards of distance. So rather than compensating, you have to correct your swing rather than compensating by changing your stance. The reality is a lot of people compensate in Christianity instead of correcting in Christianity. I'm not going to compensate my stance. I'm going to correct my swing. I'm going to correct how I live. I'm going to do things to get greater distance out of my walk with God. It's revolutionary. So it's born out of a struggle. Then the second thing is contrast. When Israel was delivered from Egypt, God didn't just say, we're just going to walk and march into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. He sends 12 spies in, and he brings, they bring out grapes so large they had to carry them on a pole. And you say, well, why would God do that? At least I did. I'm thinking you send 12 guys in, you put them at risk. But the reality is God wanted to close the gap between where Israel had been for 40 years and and the promised land. And he said, these people have been stubborn, recalcitrant. They have been circling for years. And now I want them to go into the promised land, but I'm not sure I can even get them there. So he creates a contrast to create revolutionary thinking, getting them to believe that what he had promised them in Egypt that he would do 40 years later because they needed to see something. So he creates a contrast, and many of them still didn't get it. It's like they bring these grapes back that are so huge, and 10 of the spies said we're like grasshoppers in their eyes. Who told them that? Nobody. It was how they thought, and as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if you see yourself as a grasshopper, keep on hopping. Because everybody else is going to see you as a grasshopper if you don't change the way you think. People that have success can walk into a room and they see themselves in the way they should see themselves, and other people will see them the same way. You take someone who is shy and not confident, you'll be treated like a shy and not confident individual. Some people think it's the amount of degrees you have or education. It's not. It's the amount of confidence you have in who God made you to be. There are a lot of C&D students running the world today because they believe they could. And I'm not discounting that you might want to study now and then. But I would never in a million years say someone was going to succeed based on their GPA. The the founder of FedEx got a D on his paper in college. The professor said it could never happen. It's kind of like Michael Jordan getting cut from high school basketball. Just go ahead, go somewhere and die, people. It's like, how can you do this? But in a world that prizes what comes after your name, instead of the one in whose name we believe, you've got to change the way you think. Some of y'all are trapped in a world that somebody created for you, not a world that you created for yourself. I stand up here today because I believe what I preach. I live what I preach. It's never too late to change the way you think. It's never too late to change the way you live. The third thing is a revolution requires a commitment. You can't just get through the struggle, see the contrast, and say, I've got it. No, you have to be committed to it. As I said, my dad was an avid golfer. He watched. That was one of the things he did. One of the few things because we, we lived on acreages, and he was always out doing stuff. But when it came to Saturday golf tournaments or Sunday, he would watch them. And there was one player that was not really well-known. Now, he would be now, but he wasn't well-known at the time. And, and uh, you know, you had Jack Nicklaus, Arnold Palmer, and you had the, the typical names that everybody watched and knew. But there was this new guy that was coming up, and finally he wins a tournament. And everybody was shocked because nobody really knew him. They knew he was on the tour, but they didn't know him. And the commentator was interviewing him after his win, and the commentator made this big mistake of saying, you know, it's been said that you, you're an overnight success. Nobody even knew you till today. You're, you're an overnight success. The golfer replied, sure was a long night. You see, while everybody else wondered who he was, he knew who he was. He was the guy that would get up and hit thousands of balls a day just to correct his swing and and to become the golfer that he wanted to become. It required a commitment. He had to think in his mind, nobody from my country has ever done what I just did. He could have easily believed that I come from a country that doesn't have all of the benefits that the USA has I, I i don't have all the great courses and he could have sold himself on that thought but instead he had revolutionary thinking and he committed himself to being who he wanted to become it doesn't happen easily anything that is a great challenge will take a great commitment Years ago, I've been friends with the Osteen family for years and before John died and before Joel became Joel John called me and began to talk to me about building a church. What most people don't know about John Osteen or now that he's with Jesus, they didn't know was that John had been married once before Dodie who had five of John's kids. He had a kid by this one lady he had been married to. The marriage didn't work out. Well, how many of you know back in the day, if you were divorced or you had a crisis of that kind, you were automatically considered disqualified. So the denomination that John was a part of pretty much removed him from his position for his marital failure. So he began to sell insurance and and do other things to make a living. But it wasn't, he knew it wasn't what God wanted him to do. So he married Doty, and they, over the years, things evolved to him starting a church in a feed store, and about 90 people showed up, and year after year, just 90 people, just a few people showing up, but John remained, remained committed to what he had in his heart, and over time, those of you who have been in the church world, and he was kind of like a spiritual granddaddy, and I would watch him, and I would go visit him. I was at his funeral. He, he was a great man. But what made John great was he overcame great obstacles. He grew up poor, didn't have anything. Then he goes through a divorce, crisis after crisis. But he decided, I will not be defined by the crises in my life. I'll be defined by the Word of God in my heart. Over the years, I watched him go from Quonset huts that had been given to him to building a beautiful 8,000-seat sanctuary in Houston in the worst part of Houston, and people drove from everywhere because the word of life that he preached gave life to them. When the pandemic hit last year, we were on a climb and a rise in this church. And like every other church in America, we saw a rapid split in what people would do and what they wouldn't do, what they believe and what they wouldn't believe, whether they would attend or not attend. We, we like most churches. I have a friend in Austin who has a church of about six to 7,000 people. Just a few months ago, they went and broke 3,000 after over a year. Now, I'm going to be a little prophetic here, and you can disagree with me if you like. And I'm okay with that because I'm just old enough to be okay with that. I believe that this whole thing, or at least a part of this whole thing, is designed to separate believers and gatherings called the local church, to isolate and separate. I believe that. Now, I've got millennial children who would probably greatly disagree with me, but I have the platform. So I can say whatever I want. But the reality is we've lost the prophetic edge in the church to believe that this could be demonic. It could be utilized by Satan himself. We don't use Satan much anymore. We don't give him credit for things we should give him credit for, like lying, stealing, cheating, deceiving, (laughs) dividing the church but the reality is he's not the problem because we have authority over him. We become the problem if we don't start thinking differently. I will be preaching here for the rest of my life, probably. And I only say probably because my life is not my own. But with that said... We fought through the deepest, darkest hours. And we see this other thing coming in. And the reality is that we've got some decisions we have to make. And there are going to be decisions that we have to make in the months to come. Hopefully not the years to come, but in the months to come. And I don't want anybody to get mad at me because I'm not mad at anybody and I'm not judging anyone. I'm just proposing today that you set aside time to not let talking heads think for you. Every individual is going to come to a place where we have to make a decision about our response to the things that are happening today. And everybody has a story, and it's your story. I have my story, you have your story. I've had it. I had 10 days of the disease. And I get it. But the reality is this, folks. He's not given us a spirit of fear. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't use wisdom and you do all the things you... I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying this, that this is a challenge that the church has to rise up to. And we've got to believe God. And we've got to stand strong. And we've got to be committed to saying, I will finish my race. I will not sit on the sidelines. I will not quit. I will not stop. I will press in to God. Now, we know biblical characters. We know that, you know, Peter was crucified upside down on a cross because he asked them to, be, to crucify him that way. He said, I'm not worthy to be crucified as Christ was crucified. Crucify me upside down. We know that John was boiled in, a, in oil, hot oil, just killed. Boy, These were people committed to the cause of Christ. We won't talk about this anymore. And hopefully that never comes to that, but listen to me. We have to have enough passion and fight and commitment in us to stand strong in the face of herd attitudes. We've got to fight the good fight. We've got to run the race, and in doing so, we have to keep the faith. With a smile on our face, believing that God is walking every step of the way with us. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7 says, Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. Look, Christianity's not for the weak of heart, and it's not going to get any different. It's not going to get probably better before it gets worse. I mean, I don't know. I just know this. I know that if people will believe Jesus and we will step into our power spot, our place, close the gap between ourselves and the burning bush in our lives, that we will see God do what Moses saw God do, miracles. And you may not need a miracle today, but the day's going to come when you need a miracle. My fourth child was going to be born at home. We'd had everything lined out. And I am at the corner of 81st and Harvard in Tulsa. And I had pressed in because I'd had three other kids, and I thought, this is not that difficult. Of course, I wasn't the woman. (laughs) God bless mothers. I just still don't get it, but thank you. And at that corner, I I was pressing into God because something was disturbing my spirit. And if I ever heard God in my life, it was that moment. Do not have him at home. I thought, that's weird. We pop babies out like a candy dispenser. (laughs) Never been a problem. And so I called and I said, we're not having him at home. Little did I know that everyone would have died in that situation. Got stuck in the birth canal. The doctor we had was unbelievable. Good Christian doctor. What I'm saying is this. Miracles lie in wait for people who will believe in miracles Joseph is perfectly healthy today but even after birth they thought he wasn't going to be it's nothing short of a miracle all I'm saying is this I know if you believe in Jesus you're going to heaven I believe that with everything in me you're not going to heaven because you're good and neither am I We're going to heaven because we have faith in God. That's not the problem. The challenge in life is not getting to heaven. The challenge in life is bringing heaven into your situation. Closing the gap between the doubt that you have and the faith that God is crying out for you to possess. I'm going to read this, and I'll close with this. And it's... It's important that you hear this because we live in a very blessed country, in a blessed land. We have the opportunity to have blessed lives, at least still today. And that's because many great men and women have fought for the freedoms that we possess. They've given their lives for these freedoms that we are gradually giving away. And you can criticize me if you want, and you cannot come back, but I am shouting out today that the land that we give up is covered by blood from past ancestors who gave their lives so that we could be here. We must be as committed to the cause of Christ. The revival that needs to come to this land begins with revolutionary thinking by man. Have you ever wondered what happened to the 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence? Can you imagine just for a moment how popular they could have thought they would become because they were standing for something that everybody believed in? But great success and great things don't happen without great challenge, adversity, and great men and women who are willing to stand. Five signers were captured by the British as traitors and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in the Revolutionary Army. Another had two sons captured. Nine fought and died from wounds or the hardships of Revolutionary War. What kind of men were they? Twenty-four were lawyers and jurists. Eleven were merchants. Nine were farmers and large plantation owners, men of means, well-educated. But they signed the Declaration of Independence knowing full well that the penalty would be death if they were captured. They signed and they pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. Carter Braxton of Virginia, a wealthy planter and trader, saw his ships swept from the seas by the British Navy. He sold his home and properties to pay his debts, and he died in rags. Thomas McKean was so hounded by the British that he was forced to move his family almost constantly. He served in the Congress without pay, and his family was kept in hiding. His possessions were taken from him, and poverty was his reward. Vandals or soldiers or both looted the properties of Ellery, Clymer Hall, Walton, Gwinnett, Hayward, Rutledge, and Middleton. At the Battle of Yorktown, Thomas Nelson Jr. noted that the British... General Cornwallis had taken over the Nelson home for his headquarters. Now, folks, listen to me. In a world that we believe to be the goal being peace, and I love peace, but you don't have peace without God. And the real goal of the world should be salvation. Think about the peace that comes with knowing that your loved ones are going to heaven, that they've been forgiven sins have been washed away. It would be great if we could have peace without a challenge, but history has proven that there is no such thing, because there will always be people who want to control and dictate your life and the outcome. And whoever the sun sets free is free indeed, and it's very difficult once you've tasted freedom to rejoice in anything but. My challenge to us as a church is to take time to think, to dream individually about God's purpose, your reason for being here, my reason for being here. I stand here today because I'm committed to the call that God put on my life in 1978. When men and women said, I should never return, I should never come back. I'm not going to stand before you or those men and women when I die. I'm going to stand before Jesus. You didn't call me. He did. And I don't say that with any sense of defiance or arrogance. I say that with this. It was very hard for me to come back here. Was living on an island, having the time of my life. <laughs> and when I say that, I had forged a relationship with Jesus like I had never had. I learned not only to love him, I learned to trust him. It's easy to love God. After all, he gave us his only son to suffer and die for our sins. That's easy. What I have found difficult in my life is trusting him. You say, well, that's strange. You're a pastor. I'm just an honest pastor now. (laughs) And it's still, I I find myself challenged every day to trust him. But every day I'm closing the gap between the distrust and the trust to know he's a faithful God. Begin to think for yourself. After you hear all the talking heads, remember this. There's only one head in the local church, and he's God. And he will steer you in the right direction, but it will take revolutionary thinking for us to embrace the revolutionary God that we serve, the one who sent his only son to suffer and die as an innocent man so that you and I could be saved. That's revolutionary. Can we live life any less than the way Christ lifted. I don't think so. So put a smile on your face. Let the criticism run off your back and realize that you're running a race. You're fighting a fight. But most importantly, you're going to keep the faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for your wisdom, your power, your strength. All that you offer to those who believe, not because we deserve it, because of your love for us. Lord, help us. I pray for every church around the world. I pray specifically for Mosaic Church, God, that you would begin a revolution that would connect with a revival, that would change our hearts and our minds to every day rise up And first and foremost, consider what you have to say. Lord, what you've put within us, we're going to put before us. And we're going to pursue it with a passion, with a commitment. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed, every eye closed, we never like to close a service without giving people an opportunity to receive Jesus. So today we're going to pray a very simple prayer that will make a profound difference in your life, not because you're good, but because God is good, not because you've done anything that the blood of Jesus has not available to wipe away. So I want you to pray this prayer with me. If you've not received Christ or if you've wandered away from him, and you need to close that gap to recommit your walk with him. Pray this with me, and I want all of you to pray it with me in here. Say, Father God, thank you so much for sending your only son to suffer and die for my sin. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today I give my life to you. I repent of my sin, and I declare today you are my Savior. I am saved. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or to recommit your life, I want to ask you to text the word SAVED to four zero five five hundred thirteen ten. Just let us know that you gave your life to Jesus. The most important thing is not that we know, but that you know. And when you declare it, as it goes through the tickers of hell with your name on it, I'm telling you, it makes a statement to all eternity and all heaven and hell. I am now saved. And it's important for you to make that statement. So do it right now. Text the word SAVED to 405-500-1310. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Crow. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a blessed week this week and get to be a blessing to those around you. I want to invite you to join us at Mosaic Church OKC next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. or join us online. God bless you.